cut off because I don't remember if you um if you said this or if I read this somewhere else. I'm pretty sure I heard you say this in a video, but something about an arhat sees things as a reflection or like they're looking in a mirror of some sort like that. I haven't used the word arahat with you. So whatever you've gotten, you got it somewhere else. Not with me though, but I think that you might have said something about something like seeing something as a reflection or seeing something as like a mirror image. Was that somewhere I'm, else I read that? I don't know what you're talking about. No. Move on no. to the next question then. Um anyway. Have you yeah, no, obviously have, but have you heard of the term Eka Sitta? What? Eka Sitta. Eka Sitta. I'm not sure. Eka it means one. It's like a singular focus, like a one mind type of deal like that. The Buddha doesn't talk that way. That's sure. Western language. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. That would make sense. All right. The Buddha talked about having a unified mind. Mm -hmm. To unify the mind, to come out of the crowd of the mind, the various ego states, and have a mind that's unified because it's satisfied. I can see how people would get that confused, like a Hindu type of like one consciousness, one mind type of philosophy. What would really be the difference between the two? Well, one is actually attainable and the other one is religious. Mm -hmm. Actually, one is something that can be um, developed as a skill. And the other one is, let us say, uh, possibly good instructions. Mm -hmm. Okay. In the sense of seeing everything as one will help people to stop thinking of themselves as different and other. It is anti-tribalism, you could think of it that mm -hmm. way. Unity and wholesome rather than divisional. Okay. If they take it too far into magic. Mm -hmm. See, I do hear a lot of terms about like going above like duality and non-duality type of thinking. Is that more of just like what you're talking yes, about? Yes, but now? nobody understands any of that. Mm -hmm. You and me, let's laugh is unity. You and me, let's fight is duality. You see that? That makes sense. All right. It's like you've been reading a whole lot of magical books. No, definitely. Okay. I definitely have. Just a lot of stuff on the internet, a lot of different philosophies and thoughts just coming together and kind of gets confusing. 
Well, let's not call the teachings of the Buddha philosophy. Let's call it the teachings of the Buddha. As mm-hmm. to distinguish it from <clears throat> philosophy, right? Yeah. I'm not sure that's the best word for it, but just a lot of different thoughts and things that come together on the internet. Well, the philo in philosophy is the word for friend. There's the word right there. Okay. Uh, and so uh, fidelity, etc., like that. Mm-hmm. So that's going towards unity. And then the word is stuck on an ology, which winds up kind of meaning the study of. It actually comes with the word knowledge. So if philosophy is knowledge of friendship, it's got some value. But I don't find much value (laughs) in philosophy. Actually, what you could say is, is that philosophy is a long series of long books written in order to answer questions that are irrelevant yeah philosophy is the study of wrong questions i feel like i fall into that because i kind of get into a bunch of questions that might not really be relevant to what i'm trying to attain i guess you could say um well never mind let's go ahead with your list got the list right here so um next question would be is buddhism is this all like a psychological thing and just overcoming like the biologies and everything to reach when when you use the word buddhism and then use the word it Mm-hmm. That indicates for you that it's a singularity where, in fact, it's a multiplicity. Mm-hmm. It, it would go so far as to say that since so many people in some different frames of reference think of themselves as Buddhist, in order to make sure that that's not what I'm doing, I wouldn't call myself a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Okay, why? Because there's a lot of magical thinking in Buddhists. Let's keep it back to the teachings of the of the Buddha. That way, we we're more clear. Um, as you can begin to tell, uh, I pay attention to the language. I pay attention to the words. Words have. They say words have meanings, and that's generally not the case. Words have a lot of meaning. Mm-hmm. Depending upon context and the people and their ideas, and that most fights in the world are because people make the mistake of thinking when I'm using a word that the guy who hears that word understands the concept behind the word, where he probably has a completely different concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can see that really strikingly in a lot of the words that have come out of uh, Western mentality 
into Buddhism without changing their frames of reference or actually defining what the Buddha was teaching or even what Buddhism is. So now we've got three things. We've got the multiplicity of Buddhism and then we've got the multiplicity of the language. Mm -hmm. And so it's generally a good idea for us to define our words and then set a few of them aside. Like the word suffering should be set aside because that's not the definition of dukkha. But when we bring suffering and our ideas of that into our concepts of, uh, let us say, an intellectual uh, accumulation of knowledge about a topic called Buddhism, when we bring the word suffering or somebody gives us that word, we're automatically missing the point. That mm-hmm. in fact, you could walk down the street selling Buddhist pamphlets like the Jehovah's Witnesses do, knocking on every door and hand them this uh, pamphlet and say, this will solve your suffering. If you read our book, you won't suffer anymore. Okay. <laughs> And most people are going to slam the door in your face because they're with the thought or the uh, the foul language associated with I'm not suffering. But most people will admit to that they're dissatisfied from time to time. Very true. And so, all right. So that's one of the words that's mistranslated. And Buddhism is uh, Western Buddhism is absolutely chock-a-block full of words that are wrongly translated. Uh, we're still just borrowed, bringing their old meaning with them, like monk and nun. Bhikkhu is not a monk, and a lot of people get really confused. What does it mean? And they bring in language like celibacy, which completely misses the point. So you would say that a better word for like suffering would just be like dissatisfaction, which everybody deals dissatisfaction, with. Dissatisfaction, the actual definition of the word in uh, the actual Pali language. Dukkha, sukha. Sukha is satisfied. Dukkha is dissatisfied. That makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're practicing, coming out of our dissatisfaction and learning to be satisfied. And learning to control that. So you feel the way that you want to feel. If you're dissatisfied, then you have to feel dissatisfied. But if you've got control over your mind so that you don't uh, think dissatisfaction, then you don't feel dissatisfied. I guess that was the main point of the Dissatisfied, actually. Go ahead, go ahead. With the psychological thing, it's just like, is it just more just about taking control of your mind and overcoming? I couldn't say it any easier. There are quite a number of ways to teach the entire teachings of the Buddha in a one-liner. I like various one-liners, okay? Gawanka's one-liner is, never mind, start again. 
accepted the Buddha's was Dukkha Dukkha Naroda. Another one word would be Sangha, friendship. There's another one, okay? To be really a philosopher means that you're just friendly. You're not studying it. <laughs> As if there was a duality, the study and the studier. But rather the unity, and that is the friendship. There it is. All right. So there's many other different one-liners. One that I like is, don't worry, be happy. I like that. Another one comes out of a song that's uh, uh, actually, I think it's uh, uh, Ma Mary Magdalene's song in Jesus Christ Superstar. And she sang it on the night at, in Gethsemane uh, before they came for him. When she was singing, everything's all right, yes, everything's fine. Not a worry for you tonight. Everything's fine. Everything is okay. That's the teachings of the Buddha. Don't worry. Be happy. Never mind. Start again. Stay out of it. That's another one. Stay out of it. Another one that I like very much is shut your mouth. That's the entire teaching to the Buddha right there. Just shut your mouth. <laughs> because when we got the mouth open, that's because we either want to bell or something or whisper something or bite something. <laughs> I guess I can see my problem coming from like dealing with anxieties and stuff like that but versus somebody that's more progressed on the path if they're in like extreme situations like war or torture or something let us say it this way those who are far enough advanced on the path can see that kind of stuff coming and stay out of it mm -hmm. the buddha actually recommends that there are four areas that monks should not occupy Wherever you are, don't be in a place where there is war or where there is famine or where there is flood or where there is pestilence. Okay, pestilence, disease, people are getting sick here, take a hike. People are at war here, take a hike. Mm -hmm. People got no food, take a hike. Stay away from places like that. Then we can sing the song, Hi, Diddle Dee, the island life for me. <laughs> so there's like the stories of the Buddha going out on his hikes, I guess you could say, and like he's starving or something like that, but he's still. No, able he was to... not the Buddha. No, no, that was the Bodhisattva. That was Bodhisattva. not the Buddha. 
That was the wannabe who would do anything to get what he wanted. And it's referred to as the starving, the starving Buddha, but it's not the Buddha. <clears throat> he was practicing austerities. You can read all about it in those sutras number 26 and number 36 in the Majjhima Nikaya. But there's no reason to, because he recognized that that don't work. Is that also when people say that the Buddha was against eating meat and he was like vegan and vegetarian? Type the Buddha of thing? was not a vegetarian. Vegetarians uh, are a completely different group of old Hindus. Mm -hmm. Okay. Actually, he did have some association with what is now referred to as Jains. Mm -hmm. The Jains were um, uh, austere. And they even, uh, uh, I think, uh, the monks still wear a mask, like a COVID mask, but they yeah. have been wearing them for 2,500 years. Why? Because they don't want to kill. And they know that if they breathe in like a normal person, they'll, uh, animals come right in. But now we know even more than that. We know about vaccines. We know about antibiotics. Right? So where does this line end about killing? The answer to that is, is that the killing lies with the killing. But look how much there's involved with that in the sense of the grower the mover, the abattoir, the killing, the cutting up, the dressing of the meat, the hauling it around again, the putting it in the store. The, the store clerks mess with it for a while. Then it's sold. Mama takes it home and grandma fries hamburgers. Who killed that cow? Well, Western mind looking for guilt everywhere because they can find problems everywhere. They say everybody killed. Everybody had a hand in it. And if grandma stops making hamburgers, the guy who actually killed the cow is not going to kill cows. And that's magical thinking. Mm -hmm. If granny wants to do something about that, she can go stand there while the abattoir is actually killing that cow and point out to the man, look, this cow is really suffering right now. They're all of them in the line moving a lot because they all know that they're about to die and they're scared like hell. If you felt that way, would you, I mean, you want to go stand in line while somebody does that to you? And if we can see that like, like that, maybe that guy, that avatar will stop killing cows for a living. You know? It depends upon his mind. If his mind is noble, then he won't kill. That's the teaching of the Buddha. Let's get our minds noble. Let's get our minds in a high-class situation. Let's get our minds unified. And then we don't go around harming or doing things like that. 
So when I mean, it comes to Dantine's stories, like the uh, the Panatipata has to do with grieving. Mm -hmm. Anapana and Panatipata, okay, so it's taking the breath. And so they say, oh, well, fish don't breathe, so it's okay. I can eat all the fish I want, but I can't kill a cow. <clears throat> and while this has been an issue for both the wise and the foolish of Asia to study over these many, many centuries, when Westerners come in and look over the shoulder of these people having this dialogue, they get all magical and Christianized and everything like that about it and go all vegetarian and vegan and all kinds of stuff that's actually quite unhealthy. And so now they have to take special diets and special, uh, uh, and so what they wind up is, is that they're thinking about, they're worried about and having traumas about food. And when uh, one of those people asked Vikku Buddha Dasa about that, do, do you eat meat? Do you, what do you eat? And, and Vikku Buddha Dasa answered, I eat the food that's given. I eat the food. Killing is a different issue than food. I guess you could say if you were ever in a situation where you didn't have access to food or nobody was giving you food and you had to kill or hunt to eat, would you feel bad about that or would you worry about karma? No, I would not go hunting. No, I'm not going to. No, no hunting. I did shoot a rifle and a shotgun when I was 14, 15, 16, but mm -hmm. since I put those down, I haven't picked them back up and I have no need to pull to hold a, a rifle or a gun or a, a bow and arrow, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And not only that, but if I shot something at a distance with a gun and it fell dead, I probably wouldn't bother to go over to it. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, what am I going to do with it now? <laughs> We're going to rope it to the uh, uh, to the front grill on my pickup truck. I don't think so. <laughs> so, see, you ask a question philosophically, and I answered it in reality. Mm -hmm. What's the reality of the situation? The reality is, no, I'm not about to go hunting. And it's not a matter of food. That in fact, since there's so many people in my vicinity, if if there were no food, if not just no food for me, there would be no food for everybody. And then that would be a, a situation which meant that before that happened, probably six months before that happened, I would have left already. If I could have seen it come. The whole reason I even thought about that in the first place is just hearing the, um, or not hearing, but reading the story and 
some story somewhere about how a hunter or a butcher dies and then in the next life they're like hunted or having to deal with the karma of whatever they did and stuff like that. Yeah, people come up with all kinds of magical stories to try to make a point. Listen to the point they're making and stop with the believing in the magical story. Mm -hmm. An example of that, quite important example of that is the story of Adam and Eve. Who ate of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, and because they started judging their paradise, they turned it into not a paradise. It's not good enough. They started their judgments. They became dissatisfied with paradise. They ate of the knowledge of the, or they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They had to put up with their dissatisfaction when they started judgments. Now, look what has happened to that poor story. Talking snakes, big leaves, the woman did it first. God's kicking people out of the jungle. Okay, a lot of magical stuff when in fact there's a really beautiful point to that story. The stay with the story or the point of the story. Another one is the Aesop fables. There's a lot of them. Where the, the fox is jumping for the grapes and he can't kite reach them, and so he walks away uh, saying the grapes were sour anyway. In other words, we, we, uh, uh, if, if we can't win, we will hate the guy who does. Or it wasn't worth my time anyway. The whole point, though, is, is that foxes don't jump for grapes. And they certainly don't think about grapes being sour when they don't get them because it didn't jump high enough. But little kids, they'll think of foxes thinking like that. Also, the race between the tortoise and the hare. Believe me, turtles and rabbits don't race each other. Right? So why is it that you can see things like that from childhood and understand that? But if you heard that same story as a teenager or as you are now, especially if it came from Asia or someplace, and now you start to believe the story, rather than getting the point of the story. On that, I was also wondering the uh, depend, dependent origination. Is that a process that you would say begins when you're uh, just as you're born and you're able to conceive of certain things, or would you say that that's a process that doesn't really have a every beginning? child is born in ignorance? Mm -hmm. Okay, no one pops out with a PhD. Nor even the ability to hold such a piece of paper or recognize what it was. Right? We all start out in a whole lot of ignorance. That's true. 
And not only that, but when we're as children, when we're learning things, we kind of take it at face value until it's obvious that it ain't so. But normally children take things as face value. And so when the kid, when mom lies to the kid, or better still in this example, when the kid can see mom lie to someone, know that it's a lie, kid was there, he knows the truth. But now mom's telling the story and she's telling a lie and the kid knows that. What does that do to the kid? It gives him permission to lie to mom. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. That's the whole thing. And, and so he learned how to lie ignorantly. He learned to lie ignorantly because he learned it from someone who is ignorant. As an adult, we can begin to put together and understand that being honest with ourselves, that being honest with other people is a whole lot better than lying to people for whatever reason. We can see that. But then some people will make a rule out of it with punishments and all that kind of stuff and take it too far. So there's a middle path, and that middle path then is to see clearly that lying, as the example, is not worthy. That's an unwholesome thing to do. Therefore, we will be mindful to stop doing that. Shut up. <laughs> so, back to your point. Yes, we start off ignorant. How long are we going to remain ignorant? So long as we continue to do the things that we were doing ignorantly. Or we can wake up and take a look and see what's really going on and start to clear, clear away some of that so that we can operate based upon reality rather than based upon what we were taught as children. Now, here's another idea, and that is, is that a lot of people who become interested in what they think of and call Buddhism, and I refer to as Western Buddhism, uh, they come out of some sort of Christian background, mm -hmm. some sort of Christian background. And what, what they generally do is that they throw out the baby and keep the bathwater in the sense that when they leave Christianity, instead of going in and actually figuring out what was it that Jesus was teaching that was so wise and so uh, valuable, and keep that, and then take what Paul and Constantine and this and that Pope did with it until it became Christianity, and throw that out. But instead, what happens is, is that people throw out almost everything, become atheists, so to speak, but they still keep the longing for magic. 
they say, well, Christians, Christianity doesn't work, which means that they just don't know the secret to the magical door. And so that's why so many Westerners, they'll generally go through Hinduism first because it's far more magical. But they'll also try satanic and uh, uh, Judaism uh, or, you know, it, they'll go through all kinds of things, continuing to look for that which they couldn't find in Christianity. The Christianity was too real and not magical enough for most of us. That's why we leave Christianity, is because it does not deliver what it promises. And it promises a whole lot of magic. Let's go find that magic. Let's go follow that promise. And so down the tubes of Hinduism we go, finding us spending three, four years in India looking for magic. The Beatles go to Rishikesh. Luke Tananda comes to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Sacha Sai Baba, the big dude, the biggest daddy of them all, uh, in the early 1970s, several years before I saw that newspaper, a woman showed me an expose where a whole bunch of people, not all at the same time, but one after another after another as the uh, uh, occasion arose, they would have brownies and small cameras that they could hold in their hand and take pictures and later movies of all of the magical stunts. He was very, very good card sharp, except that he was sharp with rings and watches and uh, 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 his best trick was um, uh, uh, holy ash. You probably even heard about holy ash, okay? And what, what happens is, is that they take the ash that's very, very refined, soak it down, and make a paste out of it. And then they take it in little balls like that and put those little balls after they've dried between the fingers like this, so that as long as I've got my hand closed like that, I've got four, four balls of holy ash. And I can take my thumb while I'm moving my hand around one ball of holy ash, rub it with my thumb, do like this, do some ooby dooby gummy gobby over some child in the audience, and poof, all this magical holy ash comes out, and everybody, oh, and nobody's looking at what's going on. Because he's making sure that he's not being seen. Okay. Now, what you'll find on the internet mostly now is uh, camera shot changes. But there's also, you know, like having a card on the back of your hand. And nobody can see that until you do this. And now you've got that card. So this is all prestidigitation. Have you ever heard of Houdini? Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. You know, in his later years, because he was doing all kinds of magical tricks, he was quite expert at it, and he wanted to know, too. And one of the things that he started doing was going to seances. 
seances in the United States were really, really popular, even to the point that in the uh, in the Lincoln White House in the 1860s, they had seances because he had lost his son. And seances were really popular in America up until the 1930s. You know why seances fell out of uh, fashion in the 1930s? Was no, because Houdini started going to seances one after another after another, and right in the middle of the seance, he'd figure out how they were doing whatever they were doing, and he'd expose them right there on the floor, and everybody that was around, including photographers and everything like that, and and just expose after expose. The thing about it was is that even in Bangalore, they did that huge expose of uh, Sacha Sai Baba. People by the millions still believed it. Photographic evidence wasn't enough, but but one seance after another, and you can see that because of the multiplicity of all of the seances, there were two sisters that were very, very good at it, but he caught them when he saw one of them stand up and left her shoes on the floor. What had happened was is that, that one of those shoes actually had a wire running under the floor or under the carpet or something. And she could pull all kinds of magic tricks by just moving her and wiggling her foot around. All right. And guess what? We all want to believe that that stuff is real. Yeah. And every time we investigate it and, expect, and inspect it in great detail, we find out that it's not. Then we have to deal with the disappointment, which then turns into the question of, well, what is real? And that's when we, if we're lucky, find about the teachings of the Buddha. Because that's what's really going on is, is that the teachings of the Buddha is go find reality instead of going and finding what you want to find. If you go looking for what you want, you're going to be disappointed while you're not getting it, and you never will. <laughs> Did you say that that reality that you could find through the teachings of the Buddha is more than just something in your mind or psychological type of thing like i was saying earlier is that like observing reality beyond your psychology what you have just done what you have just done is well actually there's a whole cascade of things you became the victim mm. and not only that but in the victimhood you're you're thinking about uh it in the sense of oh it's just in the mind which discounts and its flavors the mind mm -hmm. and recognize instead all there is is in the mind. Let's go look at this thing. It's so big, it's so powerful, and we've never bothered to train it. We have no control over it. And not only that, but it's full of crap. All the lies that we've been told. And because the mind is so full of crap, I guess you understand that. That's why you would discount it the way that you did. Mm -hmm. But 
you also discounted your own, yourself in the same way by becoming a victim, wanting something outside that's going to fix you on the inside. And the answer to that is, hey, we got some tools that we can do the fixing on the inside. So that's your question. Are you willing to do the kind of examination and the kind of work that is needed and put the right effort in to start uh, taking control over your mind? And there's going to be some real skills that need to be developed. But guess what? Those skills are not there designed primarily to fool other people, which is what magic is. The magic show is to make everybody impressed over what you do that they can't do. But the skills, whether that we're developing, is a skill basically of satisfaction, the skill of shutting up and stop looking for the stuff that we don't have. Because what we do have is good enough. We know how to work. You see, what we do have is quite valuable. And what we wanted to have happen was actually just a, uh, a sleight of hand, a bait and switch. Is that why so many people that are able to take control of their mind would rather just leave society in a type of way and stop like, paying on houses and everything and just like... Is that because why are people in society? Mind control in a way, I'd say. Why are people in society? You talk about people living, leaving society. Why are you? Why are people in general in society? Safety, I guess you could say. Safety. But they're not safe. They don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. Comfort. Okay, so. But they're not comfortable. Yeah. They're downright uncomfortable. Maybe safety and comfort can be found outside of society when most people are looking for it. So I don't think so. What what other people, why are people in, maybe they're looking for safety and they're looking for comfort. But that's not the question that I'm asking. I'm asking, why are so many people in society? Because everybody else is. All right. Well, we're going in the right direction. Why is everybody else is then? Have they all no doubt been told the same lie or the whole same pack of lies? And so when the wise figure out that that society out there is a big pack of lies, maybe there's not so much reason in staying in society anymore. Because I did okay. see a video, you said something about like um, banks and uh, something like that, just like kind of mind controlling people to buy houses and work at jobs and stuff and just kind of participate in that type of thing. But I would normally put banks in with just business, mm -hmm. the business of making a profit off of you. Yeah. That's what businesses are there for is to make a profit. 
and there's a sucker born every minute, so T. Dim Barnum says. So, yes, big business wants you to take their product. So they try to convince you that you will be afraid or uncomfortable without it. So you go buy it. Because you're lied to and you believe the lie. Look at the lies religions are telling. Look at the lies the politicians are telling. Politicians are good at lies. They're professional liars. They're hired by liars to professionally lie. And what do they sell? They sell greed and ill will. And they sell it through lies, which is ignorance. So that's what society is, is that they're selling the second noble truth. Thinking that if they can hoodwink you into buying their dukkha, then they don't have dukkha anymore. In other words, they see uh, dukkha as sort of a, uh, a zero-sum game like money. Or a hot potato. Who's got the potato, right? If I've got the potato, or if I've got the money and you don't, then they see that as some sort of a win, where in fact they don't feel any better. Now, in fact, they may feel afraid that you'll come after them when they when you figure out what they did. <laughs> and so that so getting the money doesn't make you comfortable or secure at all. So I'm kind of wondering if I was here and I was able to, you know, take control of my mind and live just like that. Like, what would be the next step for somebody if they're in society and they were able to do that? Like, well, let's not worry about where the second step is. That's that's like asking me to describe where the bathroom is in the train station that you're not in. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Let's, let's stay with what we need to do, and that is to, to start practicing correctly. To start practicing, recognizing an unwholesome thought, recognizing a lie as a lie, recognizing what you were told is not wholesome, and start figuring out what is wholesome and what's not wholesome. Investigate. Remember to investigate. Investigate what? What's happening right now, including what's in your mind? What are you thinking? If you're thinking, I got to go to the bank, and then 10 minutes later, I'm thinking, I got to go to the bank, and then 15 minutes later, I'm thinking, I got to go to the bank. I'm wasting my time thinking about going to the bank because I didn't get up and go to the bank. So thinking about going to the bank is useless thought. I could have had thoughts like, wow, I don't have to go to the bank. Because <laughs> I whole feel a whole lot better when I have the thought, wow, I'm glad I don't have to go to the bank. Well, then, oh, I got to go to the bank. So which thoughts are you going to have? Because you're not going to go to the bank. Why do you not go to the bank and feel bad about it when you cannot go to the bank and feel good about it? Your choice, which is wholesome.
So would you say practicing correctly is identifying those type of thoughts and uh, dismissing those type of thoughts? And I'm, I remember last time we were talking, you were also saying some Playfully sort of dismiss those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Playfully dismiss them. Oh, I don't have to go to the bank. Bring some joy in. Bring some satisfaction in. Bring some lightening up. Bring some gladdening of the mind into it. This is the teachings of the Buddha. You've no doubt heard people thinking about and talking about practicing meditation in order to have this. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. And then they sit on the floor all miserable and everything, thinking they got to go to the bank and wondering when the bell is going to ring, and then they're wondering where the bliss is. The answer is you got to spring food it to yourself. You're a baby here. That bliss is up on a high shelf. You got to go get the spoon out and start putting it in. But we're victims. Oh, poor me, I don't have any bliss. Let me sit here and maybe the common machine will walk in here and do some Shaktipat all over my body and then I'll feel good. No, you got to develop that yourself. Wanting something like this is um, unwholesome. Practicing bliss. Yeah, I got a little bliss. That's wholesome. I like that. We need, yeah, we need to practice. We need to practice. Because you have been practicing feeling bad all these years you talked yourself into feeling bad big time now it's time to talk yourself into feeling good a little would you say that's all that's necessary for practicing correctly because i know a lot of people in the meditation they get caught up in like different types of breathing and meditations and reading texts and all sorts of stuff there's two kinds of breathing okay besides the in-breath and the out-breath We can call it two different kinds of breathing in the sense of um, wholesome, valuable, healthy versus unhealthy. All right. And many people will practice intentionally unhealthy breathing because they think that if they suffer through this, that they'll get some reward at the end of it, just like the Buddha did when he was with the James. All right. No, there's only really one kind of breathing, and that is breathing in long. You understand, you know that you're breathing in long. You're controlling that you're breathing in long, intentionally breathing in long. And as you breathe out, you know you're breathing out long. You're intentionally breathing out long. You understand that you're breathing out long. And then the process of understanding and watching and maintaining this in-breath is long and controlled. You begin to understand the body. You start watching the body as it's breathing. Especially when you're talking to yourself about the breathing. You start noticing what the body is doing. With the idea also of relaxing the body. Finding the tensions in the body and relaxing. You'd be surprised at how many students come. Oh, I've got tension in the forehead. Oh, I've got a headache. Oh, whenever I meditate. I had to stop meditating because I give myself headaches every time that I meditated. You weren't meditating. You were sitting there just giving yourself a headache. 
wanting something that badly, all tensed up and tight. Rather than just relax, just relax. Relax the body, breathe well, enjoy the moment. No place to go and nothing to do. And the spring comes and the grass grows all by itself. No need for help. The Westerners come to this practice because they want something. And they give themselves headaches because they want something. They give themselves neck aches, tensions in the body because they want something. They have shallow breathing because they want something. They get dull after a while because they're not breathing well because they want something. Instead of just sitting there just enjoying the heck out of it. It's quite a show. Just enjoy the show. Just watch. Just sit. Just note. Look at what you're doing. But most students, when they're practicing meditation, they're not changing those thoughts. They're just leaving the old unwholesome thoughts in there. And because of that, they're not making any skill changes. They're not developing anything. There's no bhava, bhava there. But if you keep practicing over and over again to take a deep breath and enjoy it, you're developing the skill of enjoying breathing. I was going to ask your opinion on type of like zazen, type of zen meditation, where you're literally just, just sitting. sitting there. Right, and Westerners can't just sit. Mm-hmm. They they just they sit and do a whole bunch of other stuff instead of just stopping all of that and just sit there with the body. So Zazen or just sitting is exactly the same thing as the Mahasi method of rising, falling, touching, sitting. Just sit. Just experience the body. Just being here in the present moment. No place to go and nothing to do and everything's all right. Not that we're not practicing Zazen to get anything. We're practicing Zazen because we've already got everything, and now we can just sit and rest. So you know a lot more about that than I do. With the, when you say like catching the thoughts and um, changing the thoughts, are you like intentionally doing that, or is that something that just happens naturally? Because in Zen, I know that you don't really even try to catch any thoughts or think about anything. You just let your mind like wander. I guess you could say. Is there any difference? Well, a stupid person will let their mind wander. We've already talked about taking control over your mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one of the ways of taking control over your mind is by taking control of the breath. You could not control your breath unless you were already controlling the mind to do it. Yeah, letting the mind wander is not a, uh, an instruction that I know of would be given except by somebody that you met at a dojo someplace. Yep. It doesn't come regularly. Wow. No, this really is all about control. Learning to take control of your life. 
learning to come out of victimhood into championhood. Develop the skills necessary to see yourself as a winner with the skills that you've got. skill of sati to wake up, look at what's happening, the skill of investigation to work and walk and compare with the discerning eye so that you can improve and then you go through the effort of making those improvements and then you have a celebration, you have a party at the end of the show, just like Star Wars. <laughs> I haven't seen all the Star Wars movies, but most of the Star Wars movies ends with a great big party. Where's your party? Where's your celebration for having figured out that you don't have to suffer? You can just sit and enjoy your moment. Is your celebration, you think of just like drinking or like partying or something like that type of thing? Like drinking is not celebration. People drink because they want to celebrate. Yeah. 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 Celebration is celebration. Okay. Here's an example of the celebration. Is the guy at the, uh, uh, the big game, the... Uh, World Series or the football game, the uh, uh, Sugar Bowl, something like that, and he makes a touchdown. What does he do immediately after he makes the touchdown? Celebrates. He celebrates, exactly. With his arms in the air, he may spike the ball, he may jump on up and down, he may climb the goal pole, he was going to do something to prove how celebrating he is. The people in the stands, what do they do? They Well, the people, depends upon which stand you're in, will jump up and cheer in celebration. But that doesn't last long, but it does happen. And then they sit down all satisfied and everything. Wow, that was a good score. We're ahead now, and they feel satisfied. So this sequence of success, celebration, followed by uh, satisfaction. Is a sequence that happens on a regular basis all over the place, and we use that in meditation. Actually, if you want to know, it's the first, second, and third jhana. The first jhana is the success, the celebration is the second jhana, and the third jhana is the relaxation after the third jhana, after the second jhana. But we don't need to talk all of that. That's just something that we're talking about in the sense of can you, in fact, take the right effort right now to throw that unwholesome thought out and put a wholesome thought in that gladdens the mind. And then the next thought after that is, well, I'm really glad that the mind is gladdened. And now we're going right into the celebration. Which is Sama Sankapa. It's one of the items on the Eightfold Noble Path, the changing of our attitude from being a victim into being a winner. And the Buddha was known as a lion. He was known as a bull, not bull like a cow, bull like an elephant. So he was known as a lion or a bull elephant, which means he had confidence. 
Where does confidence come from? It comes from success. Time after time after time after time of success builds confidence. So that you know you can handle it. An example of that is when we first opened this, before I knew what your questions were, we turned the video on. Why is that? Confidence. I had confidence that I could answer your little questions without a hitch. Mm -hmm. That's what we're looking for is that confidence and we want to create it as part of the practice of Anapanasati, as part of the Eightfold Noble Path, to come out of victims wanting something into one who is satisfied because he can get what he wants easily. By being careful about what he wants. <laughs> well thank you so much sir i appreciate this <laughs> i really do thank you so much all right well pretty soon we'll get ready to start practicing when are you going to do that it's right now i suppose why not i right. the right now all right will you start practicing waking up Taking a look, making a change, and congratulating yourself for making a change. And that will help unify the mind. This really did help me. I really appreciate this. It really did. It's a whole new perspective. All right, David. Well, we'll see you in a few days then. Go Thank practice. You, sir. Go enjoy Thank yourself. Thank you. Stop Thank wanting you. things that you can't have and start taking the things that you can with gusto. Thank you, sir. Thank you.